Worship Choir, thank you so much. Friends, if we haven't met, my name is Adam, and it's my joy to be senior pastor at our church. It's a great week uh, to be a part of this faith community as we get ready for Easter, and it's to the beginning of Holy Week uh, that we celebrate today. Uh, I'd also want to say hello to folks who are online with us worshiping right now, and there'll be lots of folks who experience uh, worship through um, our podcast or our online archive throughout the week. So uh, glad you all are with us as well. Martin Sexton is an amazing musician. He's a singer-songwriter. He's really a poet. And he has a line of one of his songs, and it goes like this. The power of example. My mama said it, and I heard. She said one ounce of action beats a ton of words. You ever hear anything like that? You know, the gap between what someone says they believe and how they live or what they do, what someone says and what they do, that gap can be devastating at worst and and at best can be very frustrating. You know, I don't know if you've ever bought a product and maybe it didn't live up to the billing. You open it up and it's like, well, this isn't what I thought. This doesn't do the job. And then maybe you've seen some online reviews. Well, it got good reviews, five stars. Do you know there's actually companies who fabricate reviews on Amazon? Isn't that sad? Well, you can't even trust the stars on Amazon anymore. (laughs) So maybe you've had some disappointment when a product didn't live up to what it promised. Or maybe you've had a friend flake out on you. They said they were going to show up, but, but they didn't. That happens sometimes. Very frustrating. But it gets worse than, than those kind of inconvenient things. It can be very damaging. The, the difference between what someone proclaims and how someone lives, or as my good friend says, their say-do ratio, that's why when pastors have moral failures, it's so, it's so damaging. Right? This is <laughs> when people do the opposite of everything they've told us about, it's hard to recover from. This is what sets Jesus apart from every religious leader in history. Whoever makes claims about God and living faithfully will eventually fail what they say they believe, even in small ways. Lots of religious figures have come along, and the message is do as I say. Jesus stands alone in history as the only person who with credibility could say, not just do as I say, but do as I do. We spend a lot of time in worship studying the words Jesus said, as we should. But today we're going to look at what Jesus did as he entered Jerusalem. And what I hope we'll discover together as we study God's word is that Jesus chose the cross over the crown. We're going to read from the Gospel of Matthew today, and that's a word, gospel, that simply means good news. The four gospels are the books that begin the second half of the Bible, which is called the New Testament. And these books, these gospels, are the biographies about the good news of Jesus, his life and death and resurrection, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And the significant thing about what we're going to read today is that it occurs, this episode, Jesus' entry into Jerusalem, it occurs in all four gospels. That doesn't always happen, so we know that it's significant. We'll start in Matthew chapter 21 with verse 1. And as they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethpage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples. So Jesus is traveling with a party of disciples. There's the 12 famous ones, and there's also some other very close followers of his. 
and they've come to Bethpage, which I would compare to like Blue Springs. You know, when you hit Blue Springs, you're like, oh, we're almost, we're getting there. We're almost home. Right? Bethpage is on the east side of Jerusalem. You can see it in kind of the upper right there. There's a new Whataburger in Blue Springs, by the way. You can check that out. I don't think there was a Whataburger in Bethpage. But when you hit Bethpage, you know you're getting close to Jerusalem. And Jesus has been planning this journey for some time. And it was an ominous one because Jesus knew every step he took toward Jerusalem was a step toward his death on the cross. Earlier in Matthew, in chapter 16, he had laid this out for his disciples. But there was no way that they could have ever pictured the significance of what he had told them. Jesus said earlier, from that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must first go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed on the third day, be raised to life. What are some painful things that you try to actively avoid or, or dread? Give us a little spectrum here. Maybe you've had a, a surgery or a medical procedure. And you just weren't looking forward to it because you knew it would be painful or, or recovery would be difficult. Students, what about finals week? Is that something you just dread? Anybody not like to make dentist appointments, right? Because it's, it's going to be uncomfortable. Man, a day I was dreaded. I hope this isn't an overshare. The day we ran the mile in gym class. I just, ah. <laughs> uh, now, I did find out we weren't graded on our times. That helped me. Hated that day. Now, I'm not saying running the mile in gym is like Jesus entering Jerusalem. What I am saying is most of the time we would prefer to avoid pain if given the choice. Just would rather not, thank you. What about danger? Do we have any thrill seekers with us? After the first couple services, I found out who's gone skydiving because I will never go skydiving. Like, I can guarantee I won't die from skydiving if I never go, right? I have a very firm rule in life, and this is the rule. I don't pay money to be stressed out. I don't like, I don't like scary movies, haunted houses, escape rooms. I'm on, I'm on the fence. I don't pay money to be stressed out. I would never go skydiving. Or uh, I don't even like driving over 70 miles an hour on the highway. You know, to me, it's dangerous. Danger! Watch yourself! Like, my wife makes fun of me because I'll set the cruise on I-70. I'll set the cruise on 68 and just let everybody pass me. It's just a better way to live, less danger. Now, these are just my personal confessions of dangerous activities. That's to say nothing of much more, a danger of the much more evil variety. Right? This is what Jesus was, was walking into. Jesus knowingly put himself in danger in the evil that he would encounter in Jerusalem. Luke 9.51 says that when the days drew near for him to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. He set his face toward Jerusalem. Another translation says. That means he, resolu he resolved to go to Jerusalem. So here is the first of Jesus' actions on what we call Palm Sunday. Jesus went toward the danger, not away from it. 
This is what makes public servants worthy of honor. When most people want to flee danger, we, we stay away from it. But people like firefighters, police officers, uh, even in the, like when natural disasters hit, we have, we have people at our church that are firefighters and police officers, uh, linemen that deal with electric lines, very dangerous things. They knowingly move toward danger for the sake of others. Jesus said he would lay down his life and when he enters the capital city of Jerusalem, the residence of all of his enemies, he's going to set off a chain of events that will eventually lead to his humiliating, excruciating death on the cross. Jesus went toward the danger. On the outskirts of Jerusalem, he sent two disciples, saying to them, we'll pick up in verse 2, Go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, say that the Lord needs them, and he will send them right away. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to daughter Zion, see your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. My wife Sarah and I were returning from our honeymoon Uh, And we were on I-44 when my fuel line broke on my 2001 Chevy Malibu. And then when I went to the car rental place in Springfield, the only car available was a Dodge Charger. Now we can throw it up. Oh, yeah. Now, I told you earlier I don't like going above 70 on the highway. This was an exception. (laughs) You know, I was just married trying to, you know, set, set the tone. I don't know. And I experienced this phenomenon that I've never experienced since. Everyone, I mean everyone, just moved over to the right lane. (laughs) I don't know if it was because the highway patrol was using Dodge Chargers at the time, but I had never been in a car, driving a car, that had such authority. I mean, they just moved over. Jesus riding a baby donkey to Jerusalem is the opposite of the Dodge Charger. Total opposite. When we read the words to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet, when we see that phrase in the New Testament, almost always the author is quoting the first half of the Bible called the Old Testament. And they're trying to make a connection between a prophecy about what this Messiah or Savior would be like or do, and they're trying to make a connection between the prophecies in the life of Jesus. Prophecies from long ago, these ancient words aligning with the, with the actions of Jesus. Messiah is a word that means anointed one or chosen one. So the author is trying to say, hey, this is important. We've been waiting on this. Now in the ancient world, when, uh, when a king would enter the city on a donkey, it was a symbol of peace in victory. The war is over. You don't need your horse and your sword anymore. So Jesus' use of a young donkey is a display of humility. And this is the second thing we can observe of Jesus' actions as he entered Jerusalem. Jesus used restraint. He used restraint. I don't know if you've ever had a thought along these lines, but when somebody has the capacity to do something really impressive, but they, they hold back 
because it's appropriate to do so, I think that says a lot about their character. Uh, so, so like Eddie Van Halen, amazing guitar player, one of the best ever. Eddie doesn't pull off, pull out every trick for every guitar solo on every song. Right? There's times when he kind of holds back a little bit. You don't got to do everything. You don't got to do all that all the time. Or I thought about uh, coaching my, my kids' flag football team. Stick with me. Uh, we had, some of the boys had older siblings, older brothers, that practiced right before our team did. And so we would, we would use them at our practice to help field a full team so we could practice. And I thought it was so mature of those older siblings that they didn't go all out and cream their little brothers like they could have. Right? They showed restraint. Now, I'm not comparing flag football to Jesus entering Jerusalem. I just think it says a lot about somebody when they hold back and show restraint because it's appropriate to do so. It says a lot about them. Jesus could have commanded the finest horse, the most impressive animal, and he could have done a lot of other things to amp up the pomp and circumstance of his arrival, but that's not what he did. He could have rolled up in the Dodge Charger, but he chose the baby donkey. Jesus showed restraint. A very large crowd, we read in verse 8, spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Remember that phrase. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, who is this? And the crowds answered, this is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. So laying down their coats would have been like rolling out the red carpet for us. In the first century, that was a sign of immense respect. And then if you've been a Christian a long time, maybe you're familiar with Palm Sunday. If you're kind of new, it's like, well, what's, what's with the foliage here? Do we, is there a tulip Sunday in a few weeks? What's going on? Now we understand the connection. In Jewish people's history, the palm branch was a symbol of celebration and victory. They didn't have confetti. They had palm branches, right? We understand what it's like to celebrate and, and, and be excited for a grand entrance. In, in, in the Jewish people's history, the palm branch was a sign of victory and, and of celebration and it was waved to welcome rulers back in victory. You could think of it like our American flag. And so when the crowds were shouting, Hosanna, that's a word that means, oh, save or save us. In the 2,000 years since, we think of it as a, as a word with the connotation of praise. But initially, in this context, it's a word of desperation. Save us! They're shouting to Jesus. They're crying out for Jesus to rescue them from Roman oppression. And when they refer to Jesus as the son of David, that's in reference to Israel's greatest king, David, and the hope that someone from his line would come and restore Israel to greatness. So let's recap. We have a man riding in like a victorious king on a donkey. We have people waving palm branches like we would wave flags at a 4th of July parade. And they're crying out, Hosanna, as Jesus rides by. Jesus is making a splash. The whole town is buzzing. And Jesus' entry into Jerusalem is starting to look like a coronation. 
Jesus could have started a riot and a revolution, but he didn't. And that's the third amazing thing his actions reveal. Jesus didn't let others' expectations deter him from his mission. When people were screaming, Hosanna, it was for him to kick out the Romans and restore the kingdom of Israel to its former greatness. Jesus would later tell Pilate, the Roman governor, at his trial, this is from the book of John, Jesus would tell Pilate, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders. But now my kingdom is from another place. Jesus didn't let the mobs of people alter his course of action. He set his face for Jerusalem toward the danger to humbly carry out his mission. Only Jesus has the credibility to go beyond, do as I say, and command us to do as I do. Only Jesus' words align perfectly with his actions. He went toward the danger, not away from it. He used restraint, and he didn't let others' expectations deter him from his mission. Man, that's a list to aspire to, isn't it? That we would put ourselves in harm's way for other people's sake when we'd rather avoid pain or hard things. That we would maybe hold back a little bit and not try and impress everybody all the time as much as we could. Or that we wouldn't let other people's expectations or desires of what they want us to do alter what what we know is best for us to do. That's a list to aspire to, but try as we might, we aren't perfect like Jesus. We will inevitably fail. That's why the good news is that part of Jesus' mission was to do what we could not. Over the course of the next several days, the crowds would turn from shouting, Hosanna, save us, to the opposite. And they'd actually be crying out to kill Jesus. When Jesus was on trial before the Roman governor, Pilate, Pilate appealed to the crowds, what shall I do then? With Jesus, who was called the Messiah, Pilate asked, they all answered, crucify him. Now, there's no way for us to actually tell if it was the same people on Palm Sunday shouting Hosanna, and it was those same people were shouting crucify him on Good Friday. It's plausible, but we can't say that for certain. What I think is safe to say is that none of the people on Sunday did anything to sway the crowd on Friday. Jesus knew all this when he entered Jerusalem. He refused the crowd's call to become a king. He restrained himself from starting a political coup. He stayed faithful to his mission. Jesus chose the cross over the crown. Now it's interesting to... to, to preach on these different events from Jesus last week because I don't want one to, to kind of step on the next one. And so on Friday, at our Good Friday service at 7 p.m., we'll focus on the crucifixion and what that means. We would love for you all to, to join us that evening, this coming Friday. You know, it's interesting, Palm Sunday, you were kind of, I don't know what, what your plans are for Easter, if you have a, a tradition in your family. But there's a, there's lots to celebrate, right? And yet as we as we lead into that this week, there's there's an ominousness to Palm Sunday. 
It's a strange juxtaposition. You know, we love to see the kids waving the palm branches. But like we said, every step Jesus took in Jerusalem was a step toward the cross. And so it's this strange mix of jubilation and celebration when he enters and knowing what would soon come after that is a juxtaposition. I cannot imagine what it would have been like to be Jesus and to be so good and to be treated so horribly by the very people you came to save. I just can't wrap my mind around that. And so this this gap that occurs in our lives between our words and our actions, there's a similar gap between our nature and our aspirations to be more like Christ and and to take on his nature. And so it's good news that we're not expected to do that on our own by our own strength. My experience has been it's only through the power of the Holy Spirit that our nature can become more like Jesus. That we would choose to put ourselves in harm's way for the sake of others rather than avoid it over self-preservation. I mean, our brains are largely hardwired to avoid danger, stay alive. But our hearts can change through the power of the Spirit. My experience is that only through the Holy Spirit can we set aside pride and show restraint to not try and max out our impressiveness to others. And it's only through the Holy Spirit that we can give more weight to what God says about us and and what God calls us towards rather than what other people think about us and what others want us to do. Friends, may we allow Jesus to humbly enter our hearts that through his grace, our character might align with his and our lives align with his words. And everybody said, amen. Let's pray. God, thank you for today, this appointment with you. Thank you for the witness of of your word. That we might be reminded of the great lengths Jesus went to, to prove your love for us. God, it's my prayer that whatever it is we're needing today, that you would provide it as we meet with you in your presence here during worship. God, help us to to put down our self-interests, to put away our aversion to hard or dangerous things, to put down our desire to impress people. Help us to put down the way we're swayed by the opinions of others that change like the wind. And in their place, give us your spirit to help us be humble, to help us be courageous, and to help us resolutely follow you. Help us to set our face towards you. God, we ask all this in the name of Jesus. Amen.